This is a reading from the Gospel according to Luke. While the people pressed upon Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great skull of fish. And as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him, at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. When I was in the seminary, I was living in Yonkers, New York, and our friary is about, maybe about a mile and a half away from where we went to the seminary, St. Joseph's Seminary. And oftentimes we would, especially when the weather was nice, we would either walk to school or walk home. And one April, it was, I was ordained a deacon, And I was walking back from school. It was a beautiful spring day. And all of a sudden, this car pulled up next to me. There were three men, maybe middle age. And they rolled down their window. And they said to me, they said, excuse me, sir. I can tell that you take God seriously. I was dressed in my robe, and so this obvious statement. It's not exactly a fashion trend that I'm going for here. And so I just said, um, well, I I try to. (laughs) Some days are better than others, but for the most part, yeah, I do. And so he asked if we could talk a little bit, and I said, sure. And so all three of them got out, and we were sort of there on the sidewalk talking. And in the middle of our conversation, we were talking about Jesus, and obviously he didn't believe what, what we believe about Jesus. And he said to me, he said, it would be an insult to say that, that God, Almighty God, would enter, in his words, this filthy, disgusting, 
and sinful world. And then he said, he looked and he pointed to his left. And there was a homeless man laying on the side of the street who was passed out laying on the sidewalk. And he said, God would never dwell among that. And there was a long pause. And I just looked at him in the eyes and I said to him, I said, God has become that homeless person. Needless to say, he didn't like that response. He got in his car with the other guys. They slammed the door, uttered some choice words to me, and they sped off. And I think that situation prompts a a very interesting question. Where did you find God? Or how did you find God? Did you find Him in some spiritual place outside of this world? See, those men believed that for God to enter our world, this world of time and space, that it would be a disgrace. Did you or I go to God? Or did God come to us? You know, there's a a fascinating story about a, a famous theologian and writer and he, he was a convert to Christianity. And for, for many years, this man was wrestling with the, the teachings of Christianity. And he was a very intelligent man. And so he was reading and reading and reading and constantly thinking, saying, is this true? How can it be so? And he spent about eight years sort of intellectually trying to figure out, is Christianity true? And one day, he was at the zoo with his family. And he said, in one moment when he was at the zoo, all of a sudden, he became convinced that Jesus was real and that Christianity was true. Of all places, he was at the zoo. I don't know if it was the giraffes or the the zebras or whatever it was that convinced him. But he said all of a sudden he had this interior realization that this was all true. Right? And notice, it wasn't when he was necessarily trying to figure it out. When he was reading and thinking and and analyzing. Obviously that, that was helpful. But it was just in this very ordinary human moment where he was given the grace to believe. You know, another interesting story, one of, our, one of our brothers, this was way before he, he was a Franciscan, he grew up with absolutely no religion in his family. 
And when he was a teenager, he was, he was living in England, and he was involved in, in drugs and, and just all kinds of just bad things. And one night, he said, him and his friends were out in London, and they were trying to get a hold of their, of their dealer to, to make a deal. And, they went, and he went into a payphone. This is way back in the days when they had payphones. And he goes into this telephone booth to call his, his drug dealer. And inside that booth, there was a picture or a card of divine mercy. Right? Oftentimes the image we see of Jesus and divine mercy. And he looked at this card, and he had no idea who it was. But it, it looked interesting. So he put it in his pocket, called his drug dealer, made the deal, goes back to his friends while they're waiting for their dealer to come, and he pulls out this card of Jesus. And he says to his friends, who is this? And they all sort of started laughing at him because they knew who it was. They said it was Jesus. And he said, who's Jesus? And they continued to laugh at him. And so the next day, that night, they had their party or whatever, and he walks to a Catholic church, and he rings the doorbell to the rectory. Now, this guy had a green mohawk, leather jacket, you know, didn't look like a, just looked a little rough around the edges, right? Just spent the whole night doing drugs. This priest opens the door, and he's a little bit shocked at who it is that's there waiting to greet him. This man go, pulls his arm into his jacket pocket, and the priest thinks he's going to pull out a gun to rob him. And he pulls out this image of Jesus and divine mercy. And he says to this priest, I want to know who this is. And the priest, I think, after he recovered from a heart attack, <laughs> invited this young man into the rectory, and they began to talk about who this man was. And needless to say, that was the beginning of his own conversion. He's now a Franciscan. Christianity, my friends, is, is not abstract. Right? In Christianity, heaven comes to earth. God comes to us. Now, isn't this what the Eucharist is all about? Right? Heaven comes down to us in the Mass, in the Eucharist. We don't go to Him. We don't go to heaven. He comes to us. St. John says it so beautifully in his first letter. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, this life was made manifest, and we testify to it. In other words, what St. John is saying is that we heard God. We saw God. We touched Him. Where? Here. In this very world. Amid all of the many passing things of this life. God has revealed Himself to me.
Right? This is really the essence of every Christian. God has revealed himself to us in our world, in our individual lives, with our history, with our personality. You know, I remember shortly after my own conversion, I remember arguing with some of my friends, you know, wanting them to experience what I did. And I remember telling them in sort of this moment of frustration, you know, look, if you just read the books that I did, or if you went on the pilgrimage that I went on, or if you just said the prayers that I said, then you'll understand, right? Just do that and you'll understand. And, you know, obviously without question, certain books and pilgrimages and things like that can help other people. But I think what I was lacking was the reverence and the humility that should always accompany one's own testimony. And the reason for that is simple. Because it's not my story on how I came to God. But it's God's story on how he came to me. And that looks different in each one of our lives. This, I believe, is really the essence of what Peter encounters in that gospel that I just read. You know, where is Peter when he encounters Jesus? He's not in the synagogue. He's not in the temple. He's not studying the Torah. He's not praying. He's having a really bad day at work. Peter has spent all night catching nothing. That's not good for a fisherman. And Jesus comes along, and what does Jesus say to Peter? He says, cast out into the deep. And you can imagine how annoying that is. You know, someone's always trying to tell you how to do your job or how, tell you how to drive. You know, Jesus, in some sense here, is the ultimate backseat driver, right? Peter is, is reluctant at first. He's probably tired and cranky and just wants to go home and sleep. But Peter obeys Jesus in this sort of strange command. And as soon as he obeys Jesus, his nets are overwhelmed with fish. What is happening here? Jesus comes into Peter's turf. Jesus comes into Peter's world. Peter is the fisherman. Jesus is the fisher of men. Jesus becomes a fisherman so that Peter can become a fisher of men.
But in order for that to happen, he has to meet Peter where he is. Peter is not in the synagogue. Peter is not at home. Peter is living his life as a fisherman. And that's exactly where Jesus goes. You know, in theology, we, we, we call this the divine condescension. Right? God becomes man. God leaves heaven and enters our world so that we can be lifted up to God. In some sense, it's almost like this circle. God leaving heaven, coming down to earth to pick us up so as to bring us to heaven. And how does Peter respond to this encounter? The scripture says that when, when Peter saw that his nets were filled, he falls down before Jesus and says, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Before this fascinating and mysterious presence of Jesus, Peter recognizes that he's on holy ground in the presence of Jesus. You know, just like Moses, when he encounters God at the burning bush, what does he do? He takes off his sandals and veils his face. Just like Isaiah, who when he comes into the presence of God, he says, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. When we truly encounter the living God, it not only humbles a person, but it drastically alters one's life. Peter, from this moment, is a marked man. He's no longer the same person. Yes, he's tired at times and cranky and he says the wrong thing. But there's an awakening that's happened inside of him because Jesus has come to him. And it has nothing to do with anything Peter has done. Jesus coming to us has nothing to do with anything we have done. Because from the beginning of time, it's God who reveals himself to us, who makes himself known. And quite honestly, as we are preparing to begin to celebrate Advent, this is the message of Advent that leads into Christmas. God comes among us. The glory and the beauty of Christianity, I believe, is that this revelation of who God is is complete in Jesus.
one who meets us like Peter on our turf and in our own world. I mentioned just earlier that after my conversion with my just trying to convert my friends, but you know, even before that, when I was 18, after I graduated high school, three of my friends and I, we spent six months traveling across the country, living in my car, just sort of wandering around, exploring. And before that time, I was really unsure of what I believed about God, about life, about my own purpose. Even though I was uh, raised Catholic, quite honestly, I never thought God was sort of the answer. And the reason was is because at that point in my life, God was just an idea. I wasn't in relationship with him. And so about halfway into this journey of of driving and traveling across the country with three of my friends, all of a sudden one night, similar to Peter, I wasn't out fishing, but we were in the desert. And all of a sudden I had this realization that God was the missing piece of my life. And that the reason why I was so restless The reason why I was so frustrated with life and with other people was because I wasn't connected to what the center and what the source of life is, God himself. And it was really from that moment when my whole life drastically changed. And the reason why I I share that story with you is because I could never have figured out who God was or what God wanted, asked of me for my life on my own. God needed to reveal it to me. God needed to reveal himself to me. And in this situation, I had to travel 3,000 miles in order to be somewhat ready to receive it. And I believe that what this story, what my own story reveals to me is essentially my own inadequacy, my own poverty, and my need for God. And what's ironic, I believe, is that This is oftentimes the space God uses to reveal himself to us. Isn't this Peter's situation as well? He is realizing how inadequate he is by himself. How poor and how in need he is of another. And when we speak like that, from a worldly perspective, we can almost be disgusted by that. We don't want to hear this. We don't want to admit that we are in need. God forbid that we should ever admit that we're needy, or that we don't have all the answers, or we can't fix everything in our lives, 
or that we don't have control over every aspect of life. Yet it's this very reality that attracts God to us. This is the ground, oftentimes, or the soil, where the life of God can begin to rise up and grow within us. Because for once, we take our eyes off of ourselves and we turn them towards another. You know, it's interesting, so many people don't like their humanity. They don't like who they are. Oftentimes, I think we'd rather be angels, right? Souls without a body. But your humanity, my humanity, is the very bridge that God crosses to get to us. Just like he used Peter's humanity to get to him. Just like he used my humanity to get to me. He uses yours to get to you. That's why sometimes people ask, like, what is, what is the best sort of spiritual advice you could ever give someone? And I always answer by saying, be yourself. Right? In other words, be the person God has, has created you to be. The world oftentimes tells us you're lacking all of these things. You're not smart enough. Your house isn't big enough. Your car is too old. Your hair is whatever. I don't have any hair. God is so unconcerned about those silly passing things. And yet we spend so much time worrying about those things. St. Paul says in Corinthians, consider your own calling. Not many of you were wise according to the flesh. Not many of you were powerful or were born of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world so that no flesh might boast in the presence of God. My friends, in the presence of God, there can only be humility. Because his presence to us is utter gift. We cannot do anything to deserve it or merit it. And we don't have to. Because God's very presence, his love, is a free gift. So what does Peter's encounter with Jesus teach us? It reveals to us, I believe, the passion of God. How passionate God is for each one of us. 
You know, Father Pedro Arupe, great Jesuit, once said, what you are in love with, what seizes your imagination will affect everything. Stay in love and it will decide everything. It's fair to say that God has fallen in love with us. That his imagination is seized by us. And despite oftentimes our cold and lukewarm response to his initiative, he continues to pursue us, to meet us exactly where each one of us is. You know, isn't this true in Peter's life? You know, in the Gospels, I think Peter gets the right answer two times, right? When Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ. Okay, good answer, Peter. And then the second time at the transfiguration, Peter again gets the right answer. The rest of the time, he's always sticking his foot in his mouth. Right? He's the first, he denies Jesus himself. And yet, where does Jesus go after the resurrection? He goes right to Peter. Even Peter's sin, his fear, doesn't push him away. What does this mean? It means that God doesn't need Peter or us. God desires Peter. God desires us. For those men in the story I shared with in the beginning, God is more like a master, a ruler. Not a father, not a lover, not the, the good shepherd who will leave the 99 to go in search of the one who is lost. This is so difficult for us to understand, right? Even Peter struggles with this. What does he say to Jesus at the Last Supper? You will never wash my feet, Lord. Jesus, once again, is trying to come to Peter to meet him where he's at. And in Peter's fear or insecurity or his pride, he says, no, not here not there. Thankfully, Jesus persists. And so, there's a part of Peter, like those men in that story I shared, that are uncomfortable with God's humility. They would prefer sometimes a tough God, right? A God who conquers by force. A God who destroys those who resist him. Yet thank God that God is not like that. Because in the end, Peter, he'll surrender to God's humility. 
Jesus' continued, faithful, passionate pursuit of Peter will eventually conquer him. Let us pray this day that one day it will conquer us as well. Amen. Amen.